0: Hello and welcome to our quarterly podcast. I'm Helen Watson, CEO of the UK Wealth Management Business, and I'm joined as usual today by our Global Investment Strategist, Kevin Gardner, and our Co-Head of Portfolio Management, Hugo capel As usual, we sit down at the end of the quarter to discuss the last three months of macro, market, and portfolio activity. Second quarter of 2021 has seen a continuation of many of the trends from earlier in the year, a rebound from the pandemic aided by massive government stimulus. This is prompting questions about whether too much medicine is a good thing and what might happen next. So Kevin, it looks like economies continue to rebound and this is providing a
1: tailwind for companies. What's caught your eye? Well, the quarter just ended was probably one of the best ever quarters that global GDP has seen in terms of growth rates, at least. And unusually, it was led by the developed world, not by China. And the reason, of course, was that contagion rates were slowing. And we were seeing ongoing vaccination rollouts, and this allowed the big Western economies to reverse their first quarter restrictions and to reopen more widely. And we don't have all the numbers yet, but global GDP probably grew at an annualised pace close to 10%, and it more or less regained its pre-pandemic levels just 18 months after uh, the, uh, the beginning of the, uh, this episode, which confirms that it has indeed been a horrible, but a relatively short downturn. And the latest monthly figures for what they're worth suggest that the third quarter also will have got off to a flying start. And alongside that, as you say, corporate cash flow and corporate profits were rebounding very strongly too. Obviously data there are pretty patchy for the time being. Uh, too, but we we can hear from company anecdotes and comments that that's the case. And in terms of corporate flotations, new IPOs on stock markets and merger and acquisition activity, uh, these were very strong quarters. In fact, we had the, I think, the strongest quarter on record for IPOs. The one lagging point, perhaps, was the labor market. But that's not quite as uh, unsettling or as worrying as it sounds. The labor market didn't recover so much because Well, in Europe at least, government support meant that it didn't fall so far to begin with. And in the US, the reason for employment lagging behind is simply that by US standards, unemployment pay has been relatively generous in this episode, and that's kept many workers at home um, causing labour shortages. Job vacancies have actually hit record levels. That will change as the level of unemployment pay is wound back down. And all the time in the background, of course, we've got very strong consumer cash flow and confidence and very friendly monetary and fiscal policies. That's why growth, we think, is going to continue to be pretty vigorous. And it's why in the quarter just ended, supply really struggled to catch up with demand. We saw bottlenecks, not just in the US labor market, but in things like catering, travel, commodities, building materials and auto production.
0: So, Kevin, I'm old enough to remember inflation, and a lot of that sounds pretty inflationary to me. What are you seeing there?
1: Well, absolutely, because supply is lagging behind demand, Uh, We've seen, at long last, we've been talking about revived inflation risk for many, many months. And at last, it's broken cover. And in the US in particular, we saw consumer prices accelerate really quite markedly. um, And the core rate of inflation in the last three months was annualizing at around 8%, which is the highest number we'd have seen for many, many years. So you might think, you know, strong growth, rising inflation. Was this a classic good-for-people, bad-for-bonds quarter? Well, it certainly was good for business assets. Global stocks enjoyed that rebound in profitability and they returned a further 7% in dollars, but it was the same number in sterling. This wasn't the quarter in which exchange rates moved around very much. Um, And it was certainly a bad quarter for cryptocurrencies as well. Bitcoin gave back almost all of its first quarter gains um, with its sensational volatility confirming again it's not really a serious investment vehicle. But bonds didn't have a bad quarter. They actually rallied with even safe haven government bonds managing to deliver 2%.
0: So Kevin, a couple of things there. Um, The inflation surprises are quite big. Um, Why don't you sound more anxious about it? And secondly, if I may, you said cryptocurrencies are not a serious investment. Do you want to just elaborate on that a little bit?
1: the the inflation surprises certainly were pretty big but they did have what the federal reserve called something of a transitory flavour to them at least some of the uh, some of the story did and that's one of the reasons why the bond market managed to shrug them off and do relatively well from our point of view the transitory factors, they're there, but what we see in the background is all the time that economies are growing and regaining, uh, regaining their, their strength and momentum, underlying inflation pressures, longer term inflation pressures will probably continue to build, will sound a little bit more anxious when they resurface more visibly, perhaps later in the year. And in terms of cryptocurrencies. I, I suggesting they're not a, a serious investment. It, it's as if they're really complicated answers to questions that nobody's asking. Um, if the questions that we were asking ourselves were, can we invent really complicated vehicles that are intrinsically worthless, slow and use up lots of energy, uh, these are the right answers. But we're not asking those questions. And so for the time being, I think we, we leave them on the sidelines.
0: So, Hugo, um, Kevin's told us that the second quarter this year has been good for markets, both for stocks and for bonds. How have the portfolios um, performed?
2: So, they've continued their decent run of performance, both in absolute terms and relative to global equity markets. Uh, In fact, when I checked the numbers, the returns in the second quarter were very similar Mm -hmm. to the first, Uh, and as usual, all of these numbers are for the uh, uh, balanced portfolios or the new core funds. So for the second quarter, sterling portfolios were up around 5%, dollar portfolios also up around 5% and euro portfolios up around 4.5%. So the portfolios all produced similar returns as there wasn't much deviation between the three currencies over, uh, over that period. So overall, this takes us to returns around 10 11.5% and 12.5% respectively for the uh, sterling, dollar and euro portfolios for the first half of the year.
0: Kevin, just, just Hugo, I'll come back to you. But um, why do you think exchange rates have been so quiet?
1: Well, n- none of the big exchange rates are particularly expensive or cheap. So none of them look to be outlandishly valued in, in one way or another. Um, no country has big interest rates. So no country's interest rates look particularly better than any, anybody else's. And until very recently, there's been no inflation anywhere. So things, it's been a very flat landscape for currencies. It could change, particularly with those inflation numbers, but for the time being, there's just not been a great deal of news in in currency land.
0: Hugo, performance over the last quarter and also for the year has been driven um, much more by our directly held um, positions rather than the the funds, the, the equity funds that we own. Should we read too much into that or is it a short period of time?
2: Well, yes, that's uh, that's definitely true. So the companies have performed more strongly than the funds this year. Uh, however, I, I wouldn't draw any strong um, conclusions from that. In part, it reflects some different exposures that we derive from the funds, such as to high growth companies uh, or to the Asian region. and. You know, we think that this is valuable from a portfolio perspective. And in a, in a couple of cases, so Bear's in the in, in the US and Vanda in China, we had reduced the holdings last year after some exceptional performance, really anticipating that they might take a, a bit of a breather.
0: So not entirely surprising. Yeah. So what have the laggards and the leaders been and have there been any surprises?
2: So starting with the winners, <laughs> the the best performers have been a mixture of the pandemic recovery stories. Uh, and also some of the holdings that have really been strong all along. So I think um, I think a bit of a surprise to me has been just how well some of the 2020 winners, uh, stocks such as Moody's and S&P Global, have, have have been. So we think that they're tremendous businesses, uh, but I don't think that we would have anticipated the shares rallying more than 21 and 16 percent over the quarter, yeah. respectively. And some of the other pandemic winners uh, continue to, to uh, thrive. So a great example of this is Eurofins, the uh, testing company, which climbed eighteen percent over the quarter. is now up forty percent uh, for the year. And I mean, it, it really seems you can't get out of bed without taking a PCR test these <laughs> these days. So holding Eurofins stock at least provides some measure of consolation. <laughs> Um, aside from that, it, it continues to be some of the shares that were caught up in the turmoil last year that are now recovering. So the banks, uh, finally, Lloyds, finally. <laughs> uh, so the banks, Lloyds and Wells, rose 11% and 16% for the quarter, taking them to up 30% and 50% uh, for the year. And Ash uh, continues to perform very well indeed. Um, so up 24% over the quarter and up a remarkable fivefold. Uh, from the lows it charted last spring and Helen you asked for the laggards, so I'm afraid I can't ignore those um, I have mentioned the funds which performed strongly last year and so seeing Vander down 7% over the quarter wasn't a massive surprise uh, to me so David Krieger and his team at Cedarburg have taken advantage of pullbacks within the Chinese markets to add some new names at what they feel are attractive prices so it's been an opportunity for them uh, to refresh the uh, Vanda Fund. Deer share, uh, shares fell around 5% over the quarter too. Again, uh, not a massive surprise given the very strong uh, performance in the preceding months. So we had trimmed the position size in March as we felt the weighting had become too high in the portfolios. I mean, op- operationally, it seems agriculture is, is in a massive upswing, so we're in no hurry to trim any more finally the two companies most exposed to the travel sector so so Ryanair and booking holdings have been whipsawed in recent months by both coronavirus variants and also sort of variants in the government policy as well particularly the uk so we view both of these companies as ultimate winners so you know market share gainers uh, as we finally move out of the crisis so we are very happy for them to remain in the portfolios
0: so given they don't normally perform well in rising equity markets, the diversifying assets?
2: Yes, that's 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 right. I mean, I'm sure that anybody listening to these podcasts will have heard me saying that we don't expect to see good returns from these investments in rising markets and that, and that they tend to be a drag. Where they shine is in turbulent times. And, and that remains the case for the flat contribution overall over the quarter. So the protection, such as the put options and the alternative assets, such as the trend followers, cost the portfolios around 0.2% in aggregate. However, this was made up for by the inflation focus fund, and so Kevin has already mentioned that bonds had a better quarter, uh, and this helped the IFF rise 3%, which offset the losses from the other diversifiers. So it was it was it was a wash overall, and. Our ultimate dream, and, and, and I suppose the holy grail of fund management, is to find cost-free uh, portfolio protection. So we, we haven't got there yet, but we are definitely still uh, looking.
0: But a wash is pretty pretty good outcome for the quarter. Yeah. You mentioned trimming a couple of positions um, earlier in the year. Have you done anything else recently?
2: Yes, I mean, it's, it's been a relatively quiet period on the transaction front, but we have made a few changes. So the first one was on the return asset side, so, so we were keen to add to the Lansdowne Developed Markets Fund holding uh, as we see a lot of interesting ideas in, in their portfolio, particularly playing the sort of cyclical recovery themes. At the same time, given strong markets and a rising equity weighting, we felt it would make sense to trim some equity exposure overall. So we achieved both of those aims by, by adding a bit uh, 1% to the Lansdowne Fund and selling the remaining 2% in FOX. In the case of Fox, it wasn't driven by a major change of view. It was just the holding where we felt the risk-return equation was the least compelling when we finished our six-month investment review. And on the diversifying side, we've added a new fund called the Saba Carry Neutral Tail Hedge Fund. Uh, This is quite a mouthful and sounds very complicated. However, the underlying principle is both simple and feels timely to us. So how does it work? Well, one of the reasons we've been reluctant to buy conventional bonds in recent years is that the yields, the amount of income that they produce, is very low. And for corporate bonds, bonds issued by companies, it has got to the point where the market isn't really differentiating between better quality and worse quality credits. So companies with riskier business models or worse balance sheets are being priced at similar levels to the Nestle's or Unilever's of the world. Essentially, this new fund is capitalising on this market complacency and should perform well if there's another shock to the system.
0: Definitely sounds simpler than the name. Um, So, Kevin, um, with your crystal ball, if we look ahead, what's your thinking?
1: Well, it would be folly to suggest we're completely out of the pandemic woods um, because we've got new variants reviving um, contagion here in the UK. And in some developing economies, like India, unfortunately, it stayed worryingly high right the way through. And uh, over in the States, the Fed is surely right to suggest that some of the inflation is probably transitory, so it may fall back a little before firming up later again, as I mentioned. Um, And that suggests that there are risks both to growth and to that stronger inflation story, I guess. But many companies are continuing to adapt. Um, Business as usual these days, I would guess, is more socially distanced than it used to be. And there is a huge amount of pent-up demand in the big economies at the moment. So personally, I think growth isn't going to falter for long. I think it will remain strong. And I do think that we're going to face more sustainable, renewed inflation pressure further on up the road. So for me, it's still a case of business assets, not safe haven government bonds that are going to have the edge in portfolios. Now, for sure, stock markets are not cheap and uh, they may be due some sort of short-term setback. As I say that, I realize I've said that many times in recent years and they haven't always materialized, Um, but it it could happen we seem to be overdue some sort of correction. Um, But again, I think analysts' expectations for profits are probably still too low, uh, despite the G7's new plans for higher global corporate taxes. So I think stocks headroom has probably fallen further but they're not crazily expensive, profits will surprise positively and I think they can still beat even the more elevated levels of inflation that we think are coming further further down the road. Government bonds though, um, as I say, they're going to face a renewed and more sustained headwind from underlying inflation, not quite at 8%, but higher than it's been in recent years. And eventually policy rates are going to have to rise as well to tackle that. So the second quarter rally in bonds may offer something that you don't hear us financial advisors often talking about, a selling opportunity. For bonds. For bonds, absolutely.
0: So Kevin's telling us that stocks aren't cheap, That um, although he still prefers stocks to bonds. Hugo, is that true for the portfolio, the stock's expensive?
2: Well, that's a very good uh, question. So uh, I, I mentioned that we've recently completed our six month investment review. So this is where we compare all of the stocks and equity funds side by side and check for any material changes to the businesses uh, and their valuations. And as part of this, we estimate returns for the positions and this has two main components so we look at the underlying return which is the shareholder return, such as the dividend along with our estimate of the earnings or the free cash flow growth and then the second component is what we think could happen to the valuation of the stock so generally if the starting point is a historically high valuation which it is for many companies then we assume that the valuation drifts down over time. So when we combine these two elements, the underlying returns still look strong, but we are taking more of a haircut to the valuation component. So the forward returns have come down a bit, but they're still attractive at around 10%. And coming back to to Kevin's comment, he was talking about the markets overall. We can be much more selective about where we allocate your, your capital. And believe that we're we're still able to find some good opportunities.
0: And how much of the portfolio is um, covered by the protection, so the put options and the various diversifiers that we own?
2: I always answer this question by saying that it depends. So it it depends on how much markets fall and how fast. But in the event of an instantaneous 30% fall in global equity markets, which is our standard shock uh, scenario, we model that the various assets that are held in the diversifying side of the portfolio, so the put options, uh, the two protection funds, the One River and the Akura, and the newly acquired Sabah fund, they will offset around 8% of the market fall and we think it's highly likely that we'll also see some good contributions from the Artemis fund and possibly from the trend followers as well, but we don't factor in contributions from them in our stress tests, we would rather have them as potential optionality. So, as I said earlier this, this year, protection levels are a bit lower than we would ordinarily like to have them. This is mainly because put options are expensive. We are looking for other ways to protect portfolios with less of drag, such as this new sabre fund. However, the cost of buying puts has been gently drifting lower, so we, we may get the opportunity to add a little more protection soon. And we've also been trimming equity exposure at the margin to uh, moderate the uh, levels of risk.
0: And my favourite question, Hugo, what are you most excited about?
2: So I mentioned the travel stocks earlier, which have been buffeted by all sorts of government risk restrictions and policy changes. Um, What we're seeing there is pent up demand, and this could have some surprising results when it comes to, to prices. I've personally seen this firsthand when I needed to book a single ticket at short notice and the the price was eye-watering. So Kevin, that's certainly one area where we could see some real inflation. Uh, Aside from that, I continue to think that there are many opportunities uh, sitting right here on our our doorstep in in the UK. So the post-Brexit rehabilitation of the UK market uh, remains a work in progress, uh, in my opinion. And the final area would be on the diversifying side. So there's some real anomalies in markets, such as in the credit markets that I spoke about earlier. So we're exploring these anomalies and trying as much as possible to diversify our diversifiers.
0: So a great start to the year, um, up somewhere between 10 and 12 percent, depending on the currency. I think it would be remiss of me if I didn't try and temper expectations a little bit here, Um, especially as I had a client say to me the other day, so that's six months, Helen, so I just double that, and that's the number for the year. So um, it has been a very strong period. I just wanted to, uh, yeah, as I said, temper expectations. We have just reissued a piece that we wrote four or five years ago um, around uh, what to expect, which talks a little bit about uh, about tempering expectations as well. But you, you both still sound uh, reasonably uh, confident to me that uh, there are opportunities out there. It's been incredibly nice to actually be in a room together. We are still socially distanced, but it's very nice to see both of you um, in person. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, We always try and touch on the topics which uh, you may be concerned about or interested in, but um, please do keep sending in any questions that you have to your client advisors. And of course, they'd be happy to discuss anything uh, we've talked about in more detail. The podcasts are available on Spotify and Apple. Uh, So if you wish to receive them as soon as they're released or listen to some other podcasts, then um, please subscribe to our channel on either of those platforms. So thank you again for listening. Please note, This audio content is produced by Rothschild & Co. for information purposes only. The podcast is not provided as a solicitation, recommendation or invitation to buy or sell any security, fund or any other banking or investment product. Nothing in this podcast constitutes advice of any sort and no responsibility is accepted in relation to the content accuracy or any reliance on the information provided. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and you may not recover the amount of your original investment. Past performance should not be taken as a guide to future performance. This content should only be used or reproduced with the express written permission of Rothschild & Co.